Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 14, can't believe it, of Future of Beauty Unfiltered. I am your host, Hannah Cook, Head of Growth at the Pool Agency. And today I have a lovely guest and a friend, Trish Daswani. Hello, my darling. How are you? So good. So excited that we finally managed to do this. Oh man, you are a hard lady to pin down, but I can understand why. So Trish today is here from Cole Creative. So this week we are talking to Trish, the founder of Cole Creatives, a British startup company, which set out to shake up the beauty world and that you absolutely did. Um, company launched in 2018, I believe, um, with a, is it a flex collection? Oh. Close. Uh, company launched in 2017. Oh, there we go. Essentials. And then the Flex Collection came out shortly after. And that was the bendy, easy to grip makeup brushes. Yes? Yes. And why were they designed? Well, I actually wanted to do them first, but I felt like it would have been too much of a shock to the market. Um, unbeknownst, even though they were second, they were still too much of a shock for the market. Um, I basically created those range of accessible tools because I really do believe that everybody has the, um, the honor, the capacity, the right to look and feel beautiful, regardless of their ability. Mm. And I think that that is something that is so important and so taken for granted these days. Um, it's nice to see like a sense of awareness, but genuinely at that time there was nothing. Mm. Um, and I really wanted to be able to empower as many people through the power of makeup. So it was really kind of a pinnacle from my perspective and from my world um, in universal design. And I really wanted to be able to give back to the community so that, you know, people with MS, for example, have something to use, something to grip, something to enjoy that, that I can use too with no MS, with no disabilities. And we're in that same world using the same things. Um, the power of social media, the power of watching a YouTube tutorial and thinking, oh, I can't use that because I wouldn't be able to doesn't exist with this. So um, it's that I see it, I like it, I want it, I got it moment that Ariana Grande preaches, but really, truly for everyone. Amazing. And obviously, you've got the company's charity, Cold Cares, as well, which uh, provides free kind of cosmetic technique workshops for people undergoing gender transitions. And obviously, I think there was receiving chemotherapy as well. Yes. So we work with um, we started off working with the cancer care community. We then branched out to the transgender community. And now we work with um, the disability community as well. So the workshops are basically designed to empower people, teaching them techniques, um, tips, tricks with skincare and beauty um, and hair um, just to teach them how to be able to feel like they want to be, you know, projecting what they see in the mirror and what they see in magazines and what they see in movies um, or music videos and those looks that we love. I remember being a teenager and being obsessed with Leona Lewis's bleeding love eye makeup. 
It was green, <laughs> smoky eye. And I just, you know, being able to have that comfort and confidence to, to sit with somebody and be like, I want to look like that. I would like you to teach me how to do that. Yeah, I went through the electric blue mascara phase that seems to be making a comeback, but I won't be coming into it second time round, I must admit. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, look, so I remember when we were chatting just before Christmas and we spoke about so many things for hours. I was hoarse by the end of it because we just couldn't stop chatting. But... Um, I want to go back to the beginning a little bit. Um, so you actually started your business early while you were still at university. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Can you tell us a bit more about your journey actually into not only business, but obviously the beauty world? Where, how did it all start and why, why did it start? I think that's such an interesting question because I've always been that kid that was so curious with beauty. I have like some core memories of my life and it's always like me having some kind of like <laughs> accident with beauty, shall we say? So um, I remember being four years old and I'm, I'm not making this up because I don't have any like footage or like any videos or anything of it, but I just remember my heart racing like, I've really messed up. Um, and my mom and dad went out for a meal and my mom had this vanity in her room, like a dressing table with all her cosmetics on there. And they would leave the house and I would go straight to that table. And I'll never forget her body shop compact that I then took, picked up, destroyed smithereens all over the floor. And I had this really great solution of like, tidying it up so like brushing all the all the crumbs of the foundation compact towards the edge of the table so that nobody would know or nobody would notice that I've smashed this compact so if we're talking about beauty and the inspiration of beauty it comes from literally a very very young curiosity um and I know we talk a lot about like the lipstick effect but for me it was definitely the eyeliner effect mm -hmm. um Growing up in Hong Kong was very interesting. I loved it, but I also struggled. Um, I don't think we ever realize how lucky we are in the UK. Like, I know we talk about pollution and I know we talk about it being bad, but growing up in Hong Kong in the 90s, when there was this major industrial revolution and production was kind of everywhere, you would you would have like a very compromised oxygen quality, a very compromised um, environment where vegetables are not really vegetables and milk is diluted with water because of a variety. Like, honestly, yeah. we are so lucky here and, and you just do not, we, we take it for granted. We don't realize. Um, and I, I always sometimes kind of giggle, you know, when we see like, oh, the air pollution index in London is, is high. And I'm like, it really, I mean, this was a good day for me in Hong Kong. Um, and I struggled a lot. I had chronic asthma. I was super unwell quite frequently to the point where like going to the doctor on the weekend was a regular thing because I just could not breathe. And it's not like my parents were like, oh, we could, you know, move up and leave at any moment because it just wasn't possible. Um, and so I, I mean, I had a really, really challenging time, to be honest. So um, growing up with, with asthma meant that there were a lot of times when I was in 
the playground and told like, oh, you can't, you can't be out. You've got to stay indoors or like, oh, you can't play with the other kids right now because you will be ill. So that was like, okay, but kids are cruel. And, you know, that made me the weird kid, the one that was like singled out. So um, I struggled with that a lot. Um, Also, like it, it just really affected my self-esteem. I still can't pinpoint it, but it just made me feel like, really insecure and different anyway and you know it was like a reason to be picked on and so I really really um wanted to fit in and I couldn't and so I just went into my beauty mode my my beauty was my armor and um I have vivid memories of my mom teaching me how to use eyeliner uh and they were like blue purple green Lancome ones you know mm. uh, really metallic and fun um but I was like wow like I feel great like I look great like you know even starting with like a skincare routine like an awareness of teenage acne and stuff like that like you just I just felt so good about myself and um that was a moment that was like ingrained for a very long time I mean even at school like we had art and I had the most amazing art teacher we work together now which is so fun i love it when that happens (laughs) but like also we're talking like from six thousand miles away to be able to work with each other in london is is wild um and uh she she basically was like i was like i really want to do makeup and she was like i i support you you know she was like we're talking gcse art and she was like i support you and I would love to you know help you on this journey and she literally like I would come to her with like swatches and looks and colors and and be like I really want to um do this fashion show and do the makeup for the fashion show and she was like yeah like do it and I was like I want to get a sponsorship for Mac and she was like go for it and it was just that really nice balance of having someone encouraging me in an environment where I felt so ostracized you know um it was a very very nice beautiful balance and um she she also gave me my first role in lecturing and now I lecture at a variety of different unis so it's just nice to have those people the angels in your life you know that that guide you through um and yeah it's uh it's amazing I I um love having Natasha you know still and that's kind of so just circling back to you used makeup a lot within that to build your own identity all right and you wanted to share that i guess with the wider communities yeah of course i mean like it was such a powerful tool for me and then when i realized like you know there are a lot of communities and a lot of people especially watching the movie my sister's keeper like that for me was a moment where i was in tears on a plane and i just had this moment where i was like oh like i don't know where i call it shower thoughts you know like i had this shower thought without being in the shower watching this movie and i thought like oh wow like if you take that still of her going to hospital prom she just looks like a, a normal girl going to prom you wouldn't know the context of the scenario and i was like makeup does that like it gives people confidence it gives people strength and it eliminates the stigma around anything else going on at the moment in time um maybe not necessarily entirely visibly but definitely for you 
Um, and that was why I really wanted to start this, this business, this brand. I, I wanted to do, um, workshops for people. That's, that's really the core of this business. At the end of the day, it's about giving people that same feeling that I had, um, being supported using makeup, um, in their own environment. And what are these workshops? So where, so one of the things that I found amazing when we were talking was, and I, I guess is ignorance is bliss, right? And you don't really think about a lot of these things um, of just how many homeless teens are transgender that they're, they're kind of either trying through going, starting that process or, or going through it. And obviously off the back of them, being open and honest about the life they're wanting to live and their identity, they unfortunately sometimes become homeless in the process, right? Yes, um, of course. I mean, it's it seems so sad to think that you would have a child and because of their gender expression, you are happy to cut ties. I find that personally very devastating, honestly. Um, and uh, the workshops are they're they're really kind of the reason why i do this it's that moment where someone looks in the mirror and feels beautiful and is confident to come come back and face the day and do whatever they need to in in, in their lives um so we started off the workshops initially by reaching out to loads of different lgbtqia plus centers um i approached so many different people, individuals, trans people, um, just asking them, you know, like, how do you feel about this? Like, is this something you'd be interested in? And um, the the noise was overwhelmingly like, yes, you know, we would love this. And so I started to visit um, youth centers on specific evenings, um, branching out all over the country and just kind of um, being able to teach people how to masculinize, feminize, neutralize their features so they feel more comfortable. And that was something I was doing on a, like like day in, day out then. Um, and it's honestly like one of my favorite, favorite things to do because I just feel like um, it's, it's a really awesome, exciting like thing to have someone look in the mirror and like feel like they are confident enough to like leave the room, you know, and like face whatever is on the other side of that door. And when you come in or when they first come in, they're obviously like battling a lot emotionally, physically, mentally. So um, it's, it's really an indescribable feeling to have somebody engage, enjoy, absorb, and then get through that door. Mm. And, there's no limit to how many times someone can come see us. Um, you know, they can, they can see us as much as they like, and we'll always be there to help them. Uh, there's no boundaries. There's no borders to this. It's just purely um, whatever they feel like, or however often they feel like accessing us in our service. Um, I think the other thing that I really love about um, running the workshops is that nostalgia it gives me to like being at home and, and learning with my mom eyeliner mm. uh, or like learning how to combat back knee or learning how to combat shaving my legs. You know, it's those things that I think are just really fundamentals of life, in my opinion, um, that 
makes me happy to do it to be honest yeah there's definitely there's there's an element of um some of those things that you learn are passed on through your maternal or paternal um, or just whatever that relationship that senior person within your life is you know teaching you know whether that's a little girl's first period and actually it's scary and understanding what that is and how to navigate it and the women in your life the the people you look to they're the ones that guide you in the same with like shaving or whatever it may be and obviously if you are trying to live your true self and it's not received in the way that you would like it to and you find yourself in a position where you don't have those i think it's beautiful to be able to actually go somewhere where they can still give you that support it's just in a different from a different person but it's it's still in the same way yeah um and i think like what kind of gets overlooked a lot is a lot of these kids are are they don't have a home to go back to they're in the system they're in care homes they're not being looked after at a very fundamental crucial stage of of their lives they're under 18 a lot as well um and i'm so tired of hearing the phrase it's a phase because it really isn't um i truly feel like you know the way that you choose to express yourself is down to you and not anybody else should be able to make that decision not an institution not your families not the government um it's it's your personal um right Mm. and it doesn't matter how old you are really Mm. it's really interesting that you say that because i remember this was such food for thought for me when we spoke last time around how lucky we are in the uk actually um as a cosmetics industry um with how open open open-minded in the grand scheme of things across the world um we're pretty open-minded as a, a nation of people in comparison to a lot of other countries um and obviously your personal background was growing up in hong kong um you know you touched on the kind of dermatology side um skin and obviously you have a dermatology degree and a massive interest in skincare. um what are your kind of observations either around dermatology and kind of makeup um and what are the differences that you've observed between consumers and kind of products in the asian versus uk and european markets i think when you look at the different markets skin awareness has really peaked in the uk in the last three years i think that's what's very fascinating um the last three years have been so um well, shifting, uh, honestly, uh, from a cosmetics perspective, because all of a sudden we were in lockdown, we were at home and skincare became a really, really big thing. Um, now we obviously have a very big tan culture and this might seem odd to, um, explain, but we have a very big tan culture in Europe and the UK and in Asia, it's the opposite. It's a skin whitening culture. And um, people are obsessed with being white Um, and they do lots of dangerous cosmetic procedures, but a lot of that starts also with home remedies. So skincare is such a big thing from a ritual perspective, like before specific cultural Asian weddings, in many different um, South Asian and Southeast Asian cultures, they have a ceremony where they put 
um, turmeric on you or, you know, herbs and, and treatments to make you whiter, to make you fairer. So it's very interesting to see even from a holistic perspective and a ritual perspective, and we're not even talking like chemical skincare, we're talking natural skincare that is embedded so early on because of the beliefs in the system. <laughs> Bizarre. But well, it's amazing that you say that because we were talking about this exact thing in the car today on this drive to Essex. Um, we were talking about tanning. And we were talking about, maybe it's because we were going to Essex, I don't know. But (laughs) you were talking about the tanning culture in the UK. And we were like, where has this come from? And actually, one of the things that we found really interesting was that the, the shade of your skin has been a reference point to how wealthy you are or are not over hundreds of years. You know, you look at the Elizabethan era, and they were painting their faces white because it was a sign of wealth and privilege uh, because it meant you didn't have to go outside and work. Um, And then at some point it shifted the other way around. And actually it's seen now when you're kind of tanned that this perception of, of, you know, going on holidays and doing all these things. And then you have kind of the opposite um, view in Asian cultures and actually lots of other cultures where they're trying to lighten their skin again, because there's this perception of privilege and, and, and hierarchy and all these kind of things at a societal level. And it's kind of mad really, if you, if you think about it like that. I feel like I'm starting to see a little bit of a switch. There definitely are like, you know, third, fourth generation Asian ethnics that are living in the US or the UK or Europe and now they're starting to embrace tan and I'm like yeah because I love baked tan oh yeah me too Uh, I'm with you (laughs) I love baked tan so I just think it's really interesting to see um that that flip or that switch but it's it's very interesting because obviously in Asia people are obsessed with their skincare and obsessed with their skincare routines. I mean, if you think of the uh, first time you probably heard about K Beauty, it was about um, that seven, ten, fifteen step skincare routine. And I I'm so lucky. I live with a beauty journalist, so we get to try stuff all the time. Um, but yeah, there's there's definitely a massive fascination and always has been with skincare in Asia. So it's nice to see that trickle over after the pandemic here, because I feel like, you know, there has been a lot more awareness around ingredients and actives and retinol and, you know, understanding ingredients on a deeper level. The Ordinary and Inky List are two brands that just make it very accessible as well, which I think is very nice. But um, that education piece of people kind of acknowledging and understanding their skin type is something I'm definitely noticing a lot more of now. Um, I feel like people have definitely got like a a bigger awareness and it's stuff like that, you know, where um, when I, when I compare Asia and Europe, across each other and i look at skincare in particular as a category um it's just so rapidly innovating all the time in asia like there are things that you wouldn't believe ingredients that you wouldn't believe both from a 
very uh, holistic perspective and a very like natural perspective and a very beautifully packaged perspective from a remedy remedy format. Mm. We see a lot of, um, and uh, there's always been this very, very rich balance um, in Asia, growing up in Asia between the two. So, you know, I remember I was, my auntie was, was thinning her hair. Well, her hair was thinning. It, she wasn't thinning it. It was thinning. Mm. And I remember it was starting to grow back. And I asked her like, oh, what did you do? Because I um, have alopecia and eczema. And um, when I lost my hair, I went straight for the steroid injections because I knew that was going to be the quickest way to just resolve what was going on because the patches were growing and, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't anything that I felt like I could control, but I also saw a trichologist and I also did, you know, those remedial zinc masks and supplements. So I definitely did both. Um, And my auntie was like, Oh, I just been using onion juice in my hair. And I thought, Hmm. But it worked like it's just it's so common in Asia. I don't think if I asked anyone here like, oh, why is your hair so thick? They would respond. I've been using onion juice in my hair. I'm about to go and chop up a load of onions as soon as I end this call. (laughs) (laughs) It worked. I mean, now on TikTok, the last couple of weeks has all been about rosemary oil, hasn't it? Like, yeah, mushrooms as well. Yeah. Yeah. So it's 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 nice to see the UK catch up. Yeah. Well, so I think it's really interesting that you say that because, I mean, there's always been, I would agree, by the way, as you know, there's been so many conversations on on just this podcast alone where we say the same thing, which is pre-pandemic in the UK market, a lot of the attitudes were around concealing the issues using makeup. Yeah. So it was, it was, you, you, you had bad skin, you didn't fix the canvas, you, you found the concealer. Um, and then obviously with lockdown and everything happening, the requirement for makeup from most people's perspectives became far less. And so I think it made us all, you know, look in the mirror, look in the Zoom camera. Um, I wish you totally track someone's eyes and see how many times they look at themselves on a, on a call versus the person they're actually speaking to. Um, <laughs> And, and we all had to face a lot of things we didn't like about ourselves. And so I think a lot of people went through the route of actually assess- addressing the cause, which is far more the way it has been outside of the UK. And then obviously with COVID, it changed. Um, one of the things I find really interesting, though, is people are still obviously using makeup, but makeup as an example in the UK versus, you know, Asia and where you grew, it was it was completely different again. So it's not just the skincare, it was makeup, aesthetics. We spoke about aesthetics a lot. You know, it's a far more, I mean, we think we're obsessed with beauty in the UK, but I think that desire to kind of look youthful in so many other areas, particularly the Asian market, sometimes, you know, it's one of the reasons they're always innovating because there's so much more of a demand in that space. Yeah, it's so true. I was just having this conversation, exactly the same conversation earlier today, because it is so true. If you compare the Asian beauty market to, say, for example, any other beauty market, it just doesn't compare because they are able to innovate because there's such an immense demand. Um, When I look at like even aesthetics like Botox, mesotherapy, Profilo, like these are maybe things that I've only really been hearing a lot about very frequently in the UK market over the last three years, I guess, because we, you know, we definitely have been looking at ourselves a lot more. 
and spending a lot more time looking at ourselves. Um, but then you've got tech and tech is growing too. Um, and one of the things that I just can't get out of my head is that bold glamour filter. Oh man, it's everywhere, isn't it? I'm so glad that Dove have actually kind of spoken up about it. I mean, it would be Dove though. It would be Dove. It would be Dove. (laughs) It should be Dove. It should be Dove. It's gotta be Dove. But I, um, I think it's interesting because everyone, I, I keep trying to figure it out, right? Because depending on what you look like, you get a different result, i.e. the bold glamour filter does not look the same on everyone. It seems to recognize gender in a slightly problematic way. Okay. Because it's assuming that if I have short hair and maybe have some masculine features, I want to present myself in that way, which is a wrong assumption to make. Mm -hmm. And from a gender perspective, I found that kind of troubling um but it also seems to do different degrees of makeup depending on how you look and i find it so interesting and i'm wondering like is it the combination of hair color i.e if i have darker hair because darker hair emulates mascara anyway does it do a very heavy intense look versus on somebody with um lighter lash hair, lighter brow hair. Um, So I've been analyzing it quite a bit and trying to really wrap my head around that. But there are so many really interesting things about it, but also some really problematic things about it. And I feel like one thing that I keep seeing is that people are like, oh, but it it maintains skin texture. It doesn't. It Mm. really doesn't. Yes, it shows freckles and moles, but that's not skin texture. And... I feel like the sophistication of that filter from an AI perspective, i.e. the fact that it doesn't glitch, the fact that it, you know. Yeah, that's mad. <laughs> it doesn't, like, that's, that's really cool. Um, but the, the gender roles thing, I think, is a bit problematic. And the fact that people think that's skin texture, but it isn't because it really isn't. Mm. <laughs> I think there are are a lot of platforms out there that are making massive efforts for their algorithms to be more inclusive. Um, But I think it's definitely a a long way to go. Um, You, I had another question for you, and it was actually around your um, kind of dermatology degree. Um, Tell me a little bit more about why, I mean, firstly, you don't just have one degree. So let's just talk about that for a little bit. Very clever cookie. (laughs) I mean, I think uh, I actually didn't love education when I first started out. But of course, like when you go into lecturing, you need to have a little bit more behind you. Um, And so I was really fortunate that the universities that I'm I'm at have sponsored a lot of what I've done because they they want you to be, you know, um, more more educated in your environment. So I've been very lucky with that. Um, but the skincare and the the beauty training that I've done um, has mainly mainly come about because I wanted to make sure that I was educated about touching someone's face. Um, I think you know when it comes to to makeup like we said you know makeup will help you conceal things but does it help fix the issues no of course not and so because i wanted to work with 
people with cancer who are obviously vulnerable, um, I decided that I wanted to do a postgraduate qualification in um, dermatology as well as beauty. So to have both there. So, you know, be licensed and trained as a makeup artist, but also to understand skin on a deeper level without being a doctor, because I'm not. Um, Mainly uh, to make sure that whatever I was recommending was safe and I had a better understanding of ingredients and products because like, you know, there's all these conversations like talc and the links to cancer or mica and the way that it's made and created and how risky that is. Um, And I think we have to also be aware that not all makeup is good for us, Um, but that's normal. You know, it's, it's like saying like not every bowl that you eat out of is good for you. You know Um, it's, it's a part of our everyday life. Not all the clothes we wear are good for us because of, fibers and the way that they react and interact with your skin. But if I was going to be making skincare recommendations, I wanted to have a deeper understanding of what I was recommending. Um, And just understanding like, you know, the anatomy of skin and understanding how it works. It is the biggest organ in your body, you know? Um, And I just think like being able to understand the, the differences on a little bit of a deeper level of sensitivities with skin reactions, allergies, and helping people recommend the right thing for them um, was, was really important from a workshop perspective. Um, I mean, I also, when I first started out uh, doing the workshops, worked with sponsorships from Lush from the local stores because I could understand those ingredients well And I could understand the allergies on a basic level because most people um, that go through chemotherapy in particular or gender transition um, develop allergies. um, It's really important to, of course, make sure that you know the allergies or the intolerances when you recommend something. And if someone says to you like, oh, I'm allergic to lemon um, in a in a bottle like are you looking for lemon? You know, sometimes you are, but with Lush, I feel like you definitely are, you know, um, and food allergies are one of the most obvious allergies that we, um, we have. So, um, I just really wanted to make sure that I was able to recommend the right thing for the right people, for the right skin types, um, without creating any more issues for, for anyone. So, um, Talk to me a little bit more about the workshops or the one-on-one care that you do for people that have have cancer undergoing treatment. Um, you know, we spoke a bit about the, the trans community and how you help them, but w- what about the cancer side? Um, so I do these everywhere, online, remote. I think the one beauty about being able to do these workshops online um, was the lack of risk. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've had to cancel and rearrange workshops because people don't feel well on that day. Um, and it it's the reality of, of, you know, going through a disease or going through gender transition, you know, or, or any, any disability, even like um, there are days where you don't feel good. Hell, there are days that I don't feel like it too, you know? So um I think that having that flexibility of Zoom that the pandemic has brought us has been amazing. Um, I've gone to people's homes. I have gone to Maggie centers to do them. 
What do you do when you're there? So obviously there's a difference between, you know, helping someone that's transitioning from male to to female and wanting to learn those skills that we spoke about versus someone that's going through cancer treatment. How can you help there? Well, most of the time, it tends to be about understanding skin sensitivity Mm -hmm. um, and understanding how to rejig their routine and also just like fundamentals and learning how to recreate realistic hair uh, from hair loss um, or, you know, covering up specific blemishes, sores, um, just things so that they feel more confident. Scars as well was a very common and is a very common request as well, scar cover up. Um, And most of the time it is, of course, how to apply lashes safely, how to uh, create brows because not everybody wants to commit to microblading um, or not everyone feels safe to be in an environment where they can get microbladed. So it's more like, um, I'd say people that aren't necessarily fully in recovery yet, um, that want to go about their day to day, even on their lowest and look and feel like they want to. Yeah. It's amazing. Really. When you think about it, just the simple, simple things and that it all started with brushes. Well, and workshops, workshops. Um, but it's transitioned. It yeah. has moved past brushes and workshops and is now about the stickies the stickies the quickie stickies which i love by the way we had a great time using those stickies with the kids they absolutely loved it amazing um well where's this come from now like tell me more about these stickies because they are amazing i mean one of the things i love about your packaging as a slight side before we start is how inclusive it is it has braille it has QR code that you can scan so that you have an audio version of the instructions available to support. You really have thought about inclusivity on so many levels with this brand. And it's just so amazing to see someone actually walking the talk and really thinking about it in that way. But stickies, tell me about these. What are these stickies? I was actually just trying to peek at my calendar because I'm trying to figure out if the poll agency talk that we did last year was on the same day. It was, was, you told me last time when we met up, it was the day, the, the day oh, we did the Future today? Beauty event, March the, yes, I think it was, or yesterday, right. around a bit of a year. Right. Um, and you'd had to dash off straight after the event because you'd launched your we're stickies. Launching the stickies and we were doing an online press event, I remember. Um, I was, I was trying to figure out, cause then that means that the stickies have been around for a year now and we've had eight launches since wow yeah um the stickies have been such a revolution for the business because of course a brush is something that you invest in you use you love you cherish and you keep forever Mm -hmm. um and it takes a long time for somebody to be like oh I, i need a new brush or i need a new brush kit um and it's really sweet. We have some some consumers um, who contact us and they'll be repurchasing it. And I remember there was this wonderful woman um, who was like, oh, I'm ordering the set for my granddaughter. Her old ones are, um, you know, uh, a, a bit tired now. And so I wanted to re-gift her a new set for Christmas. And I, I just thought that was so sweet. Um, and obviously, like, you know, we don't we don't get to hear from the customer, like, why are you buying this? You know, or like, you know, are you buying it again? Are you planning on buying it again? So very, very interesting and very sweet to hear and see that. 
Um, but with the stickies, like you're done with the pack, you're going to buy a new one. So it's, it's really interesting to see, or you're going to try like a new collection or a new style or a new shape. And so the, the stickies offer that um, insight into our customer a little bit deeper and, and, you know, help fulfill the tricky makeup needs. So, so what they, exactly are they then? They're, they're kind of like stencils, right? Yes. So the stickies are sustainable um, stencils for eye and face looks. So we started off with the quickie sticky eyeliner guides, um, which came in a variety of different styles and sizes and shapes. The wings. I mean, everyone needs to learn how to do the wing one. <laughs> yeah. And like symmetrical on both sides yeah. and um, just really simple, really easy to use, reusable. I have them all over my mirrors at home because I just like use and stick and like, you know, uh, come back to the one, the style that I want. They also can stick back on the, on the packet, obviously. Um, but I, I, love them. I had an amazing time creating them and um, making more in different shapes and styles has been really fun. Um, the quickie stickies are, they're just so versatile. I mean, we've got one that's like extra fun, which is designed for like festival looks. Um, and then we've got the Christmas ones, which were, um, you know, with the candy cane and the gingerbread people and the um, stars and the star outlines and, and fun stuff like that. Um, and then we have the basics, which are just like an enhanced version of the um, original, which are regular. And then we have the sunless stickies, which are like the tattoo stencils um, for fake tan mm. or shimmer. Um, and now we have the contour stickies, which means uh complicated contour symmetry doesn't have to happen anymore you can have your nose contour done in seconds or your cheek contour done in seconds that it is very fast mm. uh, i think that's what people people underestimate is like the fuss free what i love about it is obviously a lot of where you guys where you you started your designs is around accessibility um but it's it's actually accessible to people outside of having a disability. So if you were to have a hand tremor or you were to have mobility issues, these stickies are amazing because you're taking all of that that challenge of the, the wobbly. I mean, this is a podcast, right? So people can't see me wobbling my hands by my face right now. But that challenge of actually stabilizing yourself to do those fine lines, that eye work, the eyebrow work. Um, and to have those as templates is amazing. But also people that don't have disabilities and challenges from a mobility perspective in that area would also really benefit from i know so many people that need these stencils and i think that's what makes it amazing about being genuinely inclusive yes i uh, fully agree i mean i think it's it's also just like the need of it you're absolutely right like the need of being able to have those looks and create those those aesthetics for ourselves without having to spend ages freaking out about messing it up you know it, it really is that like okay i i peel a stick fill and peel and i'm done and it's so convenient and so easily done uh, for everyone and how have your communities of people that do have issues with accessibility are they finding it i'm guessing it's had an amazing response if you're on your eighth launch 
Yes. Um, I think like it's not just our community. It's it's every community. The idea of being able to like look um, and create some very complicated detail looks in seconds is such a lifesaver. I've even had pro makeup artists be like, I love this. I love having it in my kit. Um, it's great for those jobs and it's amazing to kind of have and include. Um, and so it's, it really has been a game changer for a lot of people. And, um, I love seeing the looks people create as well. Like some of them are so creative, they cut them and they, you know, change the way that they work. And like, you know, we have clouds in one kit and stars in another, and someone cut the cloud in half and split it and had the star poking out. And I was like, wow, that is so cool. Um, so it also allows for an additional um, layer of creativity on top of that. Mm. And um, you mentioned we you know, spoke about inclusivity quite a bit. How there's the category in the industry, there are definitely more brands that are trying to be more inclusive. And as I mentioned, that's one of the things I love about you guys from day one is you really are trying to make sure at every hurdle you're being as inclusive as possible. But how how can you best include without singling out certain groups of people? It's very hard. And I think that at the end of the day, there is no guarantee um, or no right or wrong way because every disability or every ability is different. Um, of course, like as time's gone on and the workshops being there, I've been able to see and get feedback side by side. So initially we had one grip, now we have two, soon we'll have three. So there is like a different understanding of like how a tool is more mobile and usable for different types of disabilities. Um, of course, like if I can't see how do I use a product, that's something that we got a lot of feedback on um, to try and help and understand because yes, we use Braille, but we also use raised QR codes. And the reason we use two is because only 10% of the blind community can actually read Braille. So we're trying to wow. do different systems and figure out different ways of kind of uh, doing that. Um, and then when it comes to uh, scanning the QR codes, we lead you to a web page, which is connected to an audio visual guide. So you can watch a video or you can hear the video and it'll describe to you what's going on. Um, there's lots of alt text on any images on the website. So of course you have the capacity of um, understanding what that is as well, if you're using a screen reader. And so, um, and of course, the principle of the product to be easily used by anyone. So mm. there, is, there are so many things that we do, even like the materials we use. So certain fibers on the brush hair and certain textures like are there for people with um, autism or people that have sensorial difficulties and issues. Um, so we do think about a lot of this stuff because it's also like if somebody is sticking something on their face, what does that sensation mean to them? Do they like it? Do they not like it? How do they feel about it? So um, we have to take a lot of that into consideration too. It really is incredible. And it's so amazing and refreshing to hear all of the different ways and angles of which you kind of explore. And I think it's, it's such a beautiful story as well of you've had your own challenges and kind of, you know, we spoke about it. You, you, you kind of love the Western Western world and you love kind of everything that's um, in it in lots of different ways. But 
What would, I've got two more questions for you because I could literally talk to you all day. I say this to every single person. I think the last time we spoke, we were talking for about three hours. So genuinely, but this can't be a three hour long podcast because I'll get murdered. Um, I've got two questions for you because I know you're going to answer them beautifully. What would be your wish or vision on a more inclusive beauty category? That's such a good question. I think we have, you just said it, right? I take into account a lot of struggles, but we all have very different struggles. Um, Embracing different struggles on different levels is great. And it would make a much more inclusive industry. But what I fear I'm seeing, even on a fashion side, is um, inclusivity being used as marketing, which it isn't and it shouldn't be. And I feel like that would be my biggest wish for people to realize that this is not marketing. It's a commitment um, and it's a commitment to your community and, and a, a really big change that we need. Um, so that would be the, the one wish I would have is that people would stop treating it like marketing because it isn't. I mean, we saw that with um, body positivity and now with the whole 2000s revolution, we have um, a lot of like, uh, over skinny models again. And I'm just like, really, you know, um, yeah. if I see the word azemphic one more time, I'm going to scream. Um, I can't believe I read heroin chic in a magazine the other day. And I was like, what is this? Where, <laughs> where are we? <laughs> yeah. So, so it's stuff like that. You know, I, I get it. Like there are trends, but this is not a trend and it shouldn't be treated like one. Mm. Um, I just wish, that, you know, I, I know we live in a world of digital marketing and SEO keywords and stuff like that. I get it. I just hope that this is not treated like that. Mm. And off the back of that wish, we obviously have lots of marketers that do listen to this and that will also share your views um, on this subject. So I'm going to end it with the question that I always end it with, which is if you could give one piece of advice to the marketeers listening now, what would it be? Not a wish, advice. Um, ooh, if I could give advice to marketeers, it would be don't copy, innovate. Um, because there are so many things that are really cool, but the internet is so small now that, you know, it could potentially be harmful for another business. And so I would say, like, really don't copy, innovate. Um, Put the thinking cap on and really get kickstarted because it's really important to acknowledge inclusivity. And it's really important to acknowledge um, diversity and universal design and, and all of these things. But I just feel like the internet has made it too small for copycat campaigns. And I would just love to see some really innovative and supportive content in every way. That's so nice. I think that's so bang on the money that um, it's a really crowded market. And luckily, everyone seems to always support each other the majority of the time, but absolutely innovate. Well, look, 
As always, my lovely, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, guys, I really hope that you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you have any questions for me or Trish, uh, please do get in touch at podcast at the pull agency.com and we will see you next time. 